0: let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the iron fist and the velvet glove it just occurred to me that i don't know the collective noun for a group of meerkats is it a pack a tribe a herd joe help me out here because i was just about to declare that you know we've got the full complement here Uh, Scott the Velvet Glove, who was ill last week. Apparently it's a mob. A mob, okay. We have a full mob of meerkats for you on this podcast, dear listener. Streaming live to you from Brisbane, 8pm on Mondays. And yeah, a podcast where we talk about news and politics, sex and religion. Like a small mob of meerkats. We're on our little hill looking out on the world, trying to figure out what's going on. And trying to explain it to each other and to you, the dear listener. I'm Trevor, a.k.a. The Iron Fist. Returning from an illness is Scott the Velvet Glove. Tell everybody how you are, Scott.
1: I'm very well, thanks, Trevor. I'm uh, back over it and all that sort of stuff. I was – it nearly knocked me on my ass for two days. Mm. I didn't feel all that good on Sunday night, but I went to bed early and woke up feeling really shitty on Tuesday. So – Aside from that, I was over it on Wednesday. So I, um, on Monday, actually. So on Tuesday, I tested myself again, was still showing a faint line of being positive. So I tested myself again on Friday and it was almost gone. So I tested myself on Saturday morning. It was completely clear. Very good. Of course,
0: yeah. COVID is what Scott had, everybody. Yes. So, and uh, with five vaccinations under his belt, he was able to deal with it.
1: That's probably why I was able to get over it so quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, Joe, you've had your own medical episodes, but we won't go into the details of those because they're quite messy, really, and yeah. we don't we don't want to ruin anybody's dinner with that. So we'll just uh, leave that as it is. Yeah. So if you're in the chat room, say hello. Nobody there yet, but people normally turn up. What's on the agenda? Well, you know, it's a podcast about news and politics, sex and religion, In Australia and around the world, we're going to start with Australia with the tax changes, Stage 3, and the fact that Dutton is now getting wedged by this. There's an essential poll came out, guys. I didn't give this to you in the notes, but we'll run through Australians and their views on uh, Stage 3, Gaza and the Republic. Um, We'll talk about uh, a bit of statistics because we were mentioning average wage the other day. And I came across another article talking about how do we talk about average wage, median wage in Australia, and a school tragedy that has parents crying, a spy pigeon, a Chinese spy pigeon. Scott, one of my favourite animal stories that we did was uh, Dexter the Peacock. Do you remember Dexter the Peacock? That
1: was the... um, uh uh, the traveling companion bird, wasn't it? Yes. You know, the the, the um, support woody, uh, animal. Support animal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was quite an impressive peacock. Yeah,
0: full size peacock. And the person arrived at the airport and um, expected to be able to board the plane with their support animal, which was Dexter the peacock.
1: Mm. <laughs> That's
0: going back a long way. That was in the first. Handful of episodes, I reckon, that one, Scott. It's probably pretty early. Yeah, Yeah, going back about eight years or so, Dexter the Peacock. Wonder what ever happened to Dexter. And um, might get on to Imran Khan. I think we'll get on to Imran Khan uh, in Pakistan and what's happened there. No surprise, but it's going to involve some foreign policy meddling by the United States of America. And um, Saul Lake. Describe the worst policy decision by an Australian government ever. Uh, Scott Morrison's hands are all over it, so we'll get onto that. So that's on the agenda. There's chapters for this podcast. If your app is smart enough, you should be able to see some chapters. You can scoot around the topics, skip some, listen to some twice. It's up to you. But, uh, okay, let's get going. Well, I uh, saw an article that said... Um, Opposition leader Peter Dutton's seat of Dixon, which is your electorate, Joe. Uh, yep, the analysis never voted found No, can't blame you. In the analysis found, 85% of taxpayers would be better off under Labor's plan um, than the original format for the stage three tax cuts. He hasn't declared what the Liberal Party is going to do when the revamped tax cuts come before
1: Parliament. But... He's, um, choice. he's got no choice, has he, Scott? No, he's got absolutely no choice to back them. I mean, it was it was bloody criminal stupidity that the Labor government actually backed the original Stage 3 tax cuts. Yeah, I said right from word go that all he had to do was actually during the election campaign, he said, look, we're committed to Stage 3, but we're not committed to the way that Stage 3 has been originally written. So assuming we win, we will have a look at them and we will rejig them. And that and, would have been fine. And they were worried about being wedged. And, yeah, know.
0: And look, lo and behold,
1: yeah, they are no, wedging now. Wedged. Dutton, yeah. because
0: it just makes sense. The original policy was so bad.
1: I know. If you can't take a bad, bad policy
0: and explain it, offer an alternative, and wedge your opponent on that, mm-hmm. then you just shouldn't be in the game.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: uh, but you do realise that Dixon will still vote Dutton back in. Of course.
1: God alone knows but, why.
2: Yes, of course.
1: Yeah, because I gather that Dixon isn't one of the wealthiest suburbs of Brisbane, is it?
2: No. Well, it's an outer
1: suburb. Yeah. No. Yeah. So it wouldn't be. You wouldn't have many millionaires out there. So God well, knows. I mean, it's not like even um the the guy that's um Max whatever his name is the um Green. You know, he represents Balimber and Hawthorne and all that sort of things, which are really the premier suburbs in Brisbane. Mm. And, you know, I, I just think to myself that Dutton is really, you know, I cannot believe that he was actually going to try and make out that this was a terrible, ghastly thing that the Prime Minister did by breaking an election promise. You know, it's one of those things. Like I remember at the time you were saying that either the shovel or something else was saying, oh, but we didn't think he was serious. to Albanese, you know, Mm. which is just, it's one of those things, it was so blatantly obvious that it was wrong that anyone that actually tried to defend it need their heads red.
2: Yeah. Because because the voters here will mm -hmm. be looking at Facebook adverts from Dutton, which will no doubt spin it in his light. Um,
0: Well, Well, they've joined the Liberal tribe and as part of their loyalty to the tribe, they will vote for them even if the policies are against their best interest. Their personal interest,
2: yeah. (laughs) Because Labor raises taxes. Yes. (laughs) uh, And they're going to be worse off under a Labor government. Yes. Yeah. And and because liberals are
0: much better economic managers. Just all those things. But but there's really an interesting class thing happening here because traditionally, you know, the liberals and the nationals were the conservatives who were seen as as the party for the well-to-do. And if you look, though, at their actual electorates that they're representing, because they've been pushed out into these regional suburbs, regional areas, they've actually been pushed out where their remaining base is the lower socioeconomic group. So I saw this tweet from Koz Samaras saying that uh, did, you, did you know that the National Party with the LNP and to a lesser extent the Liberal Party hold well over half of the top 20 poorest federal seats in the country? Um, they now hold none of the top income electorates. So they really need to work out um, which class they want to represent.
1: That's so, well, because all those electorates fell to the teals. Yes. You know, it's just... Yeah, poor to Poor to things? the Greens. Well, to the Greens, yeah. Yeah. So they still think
0: of themselves as a party for the upper class, mm. sort of financially, but they've pitched themselves through sort of culture war issues, I guess, um, to a policy the platform. The lower that, middle class. That, that is really only finding favour in the regions where mm-hmm. people are poorer. So mm-hmm. this party of the upper class
2: is now representing... Well... Effectively the the lower class at the electorate level. They're the party of theocracy Mm, and a lot of the poorer, certainly the western Sydney suburbs are the more religious. It's the hills. Yeah. Uh, I I think it's much more the party of family values rather than the party of um, the rich. Mm. I mean, yeah, economically it definitely is the party of the rich but socially Mm. it's the party of family values.
0: Yeah, so they've just reached this point where their policy talk on things like tax and, and the, well, what did uh, National's leader, um, what's his name? Uh, David Littleproud? Little, Little Proud, yeah. By the way, my wife taught him when he was in primary school in Chinchilla. Really? Yeah, the fun fact for you.
1: Mm. She obviously um, didn't hit
0: him hard enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I think his father was some sort of state member um, at the time.
1: I think and, it. Well, I think he did. He did have that sort of lineage that his father or something like that was some kind yeah. of other. A, a, he was obviously a National Party man, and yes. um, he was probably in the state parliament because back then anyone could get in if you if you just held your flag up and said I'm a National Party man, you'll get a job there. You yeah. Know? So, um,
0: so that was Chinchilla. Chinchilla, by the way, was. Um, considered just east of Too Far West because it was a three-and-a-half-hour drive. So, if you really had something on on the weekend, you could make it back to Brisbane. So, anyway, anyway I've digressed. But um, what did he say? He said that um, um, the tax cuts in their original format were about giving everyone a fair go mm. and that um, 190000 a year is not a lot, is what...
1: <laughs> well, I suppose I suppose it's not when your starting salary is $210,000 a year, you know? Yeah.
0: I think maybe I'll skip forward to um, what is a lot or what is the average? If we're going to say 190000 is a lot. So, um, guys, it was a bit further down in the nodes, but let's just skip through to it. Um, because the Prime Minister noted that under the revision to the tax scales... An average wage earner on seventy three thousand per year would be fifteen hundred dollars better off. So Albanese was saying that the average wage earner is on uh, comes out at seventy three thousand per year. If he's correct, then when Little Proud says one hundred and ninety is not a lot, I think Little Proud's wrong. But mm.
2: um,
0: yeah, so That's sort
2: of two and a half times as large, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, so when they were selling the package, because remember, this is a goddamn policy that's nearly six years old, like stage one, stage two, stage three. The craziness of this is policy written six years ago that is finally sort of come to the point where it was due to be implemented. Um, so back in 2018 when the Morrison government was, was... it Morrison? It was one of the conservative governments... Was selling the idea, and um, at that time um, of the budget, they were saying the annual wage was eighty-four thousand per year, and the treasury forecasting a rise to one hundred and three. So, um, if if the budget was talking about the average as being eighty-four thousand back then, how can Albanese be saying it's seventy-three thousand now? And what exactly is the average income? And as this writer in an article says, and you get the article in the show notes, dear listener, it's Harry uh, Chamay writing in, I'm pretty sure it was the John Energy Block. Um, He says, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. We found that during the COVID um, time. Boy, did we torture some data? Or did some people torture some data Uh, at that point? Yeah. We won't go there. Um, so what he says, on closer inspection, the PM's reference to 73000 is a reference to the average current taxable income across all full-time workers. Um, and um, back in 82... Oh, sorry, and back in 2018... Um, It was the annualised average weekly earnings of a full-time adult at the time rather than all full-time workers. And um, what we've got, of course, is, dear listener, the incomes at the top end are extremely high, which skew the average to a higher point than if you had lined every Australian up and walked along the line and stopped at the halfway point, thereby getting the median wage. So that, to me, would seem like the best measure of the average Australian. Scott, would you agree that if you just lined everybody up, poorest to, well, lowest income to highest income and stopped halfway, that's a better assessment of average?
1: Mm, I would have thought so, but... um I'm a fairly simplistic bloke. I just like to add it up and divide by the numbers, that's all. Really? You don't... Joe, what's your preference for talking about an
2: average Aussie income? Well, so there are three averages, isn't there? There's the mean, median, and mode. Yeah. And the mode is is actually the most numerous of all incomes. Yes. So you you take... You you break people into bands or whatever... (laughs) And then you take the most popular of those bands, and that yes. probably is the better outcome. But the median is considerably better than the mean. As a method, but the mean is the mean is simple, but it gets skewed by outliers. Yes, yeah, I know which it does.
1: Yeah, all right. So that's you know, I understand what you're saying. You're criticising my choice of mean. So, anyway. Yeah, I'm surprised by your preference for it. Yeah. No, it's one of those things. You know, I'll take anything. You know, I'm not going to sit there and actually calculate it myself. So I'll just take the, me, the medium. Mm. Yeah. Let me scoot
0: forward to get to. Um, um, uh, he says in this article the suggestion that 200000 might be a middling income uh, must surely push the bounds of credulity. And. Um, uh he says the median is not two hundred thousand um basically ah uh, what does he say here um uh that the average full time adult worker earning eighty five thousand in two thousand and eighteen um is earning around ninety nine thousand in may twenty three so Average full-time adult worker, the median full-time earnings um, uh, back in 2018 was 76000 and now it's 88000 So if you're looking at full-time job, um, then the median full-time job uh, salary in Australia is currently around 88000 I think that's a sort of a... There seems about right to me. Mm. There we go. That's what you. A long
1: way short of one hundred and ninety thousand dollars.
0: Yeah, exactly. So let's go back to um, essential report, and let me just find this. um, uh, So they've been polling people about their reactions to the um, to the stage three tax cuts and what's been going on. And basically, overall, um, only – now, it depends on the poll that you look at. The essential poll says only 22% of people want the Stage 3 tax cuts to remain unchanged. So that's a huge proportion of the population agreeing with Labor at least that it needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. And that's the wedge that Dutton is facing, that – if he was to insist on no changes, only 22% of people would agree with him. Um. Uh, actually, maybe I can share this screen. Let me try and do that. I
1: suppose that, um, you know, it, it, how big a threat are the Greens and that sort of stuff? Could they actually cross the floor and vote to actually? No, they wouldn't actually keep them, would they? If they uh, actually, did, they'd I'm look sorry. very bloody stupid, wouldn't they?
0: Oh, uh, the Greens will try and push for. Um
1: yeah, I know they're going to they're going to push to have more of it heading down the lower end. But I just think to myself that they've got a choice in the end: is either they, they either take what Labor has offered them, or yep. they actually um, vote to maintain the current package, which yeah. would make them look very bloody stupid.
0: Yeah. So, um, top chart there is basically overall because they ask people a year um, sort of. In November twenty three, what they thought, then they asked them again in January twenty four, and nothing changed much. But essentially, twenty two percent of people say leave it as it is. The rest, to some degree, want things changed. And uh, males, twenty seven percent, want to leave the tax cuts as they were designed by Scott Morrison. Because females, seventeen percent, want to leave them. So uh, women more likely to want. The tax cuts changed. And age-wise, this one's interesting. 18 to 34, um, uh, 17% want them to continue. Um, Middle-aged Australians um, also want them to continue, 26%. It actually decreased a bit for the boomers. So the boomers aren't as bad as they normally are when it comes to that age demographic
2: (laughs) And they're uh, not earning income.
0: Y- y- yes, that's it at that point. You're right, Joe. They're asset rich and income poor,
1: of course. Ask them what they think of franking credits and you'll get a different story. Oh, oh absolutely.
0: We'll, we'll get on to franking credits. And Coalition, according to a central poll, 33% of Coalition voters wanted to leave the tax cuts as they were originally designed. Uh, everybody else is around the 16%. So that was... um was on the uh, sort of Australia's view on the tax cuts. Um, just while we're here on the essential poll, uh, next one coming up is attitudes to the Israel-Palestine conflict. And the third one on the chart is the one that gets me here, guys, is to what extent do you agree with the following statement? And the statement is, the Israeli response is proportionate. And 12% of Australians agree with that and 20% somewhat agree, and 45% neither agree nor disagree. So, to some extent, 32% of Australians think that the Israeli response is proportionate, and 45% just don't know. That leaves only 22% of Australians who think that the Israeli response is
2: disproportionate.
0: Does that seem um, strange to you? Well, I think
2: 45% of people just don't care. Yes.
0: You're dead right, 45% just don't care. Yeah. Gender-wise on that one, let's see what the um, breakup is. Uh, And the Israeli response is proportionate. 39% of males agree, only 25% of females agree. And voting intention. Uh, the Israeli response is proportionate. Forty-five percent, 44 percent of coalition voters agree, 15 percent of Greens voters. It's just interesting that something that's, you know, a conflict in the Middle East between two countries splits opinion here so much along party lines, party political lines, like... Our, our political parties don't have strongly stated foreign policy views going into an election. Nobody really looks at foreign policy. and It's just amazing that it breaks down on party lines so much what people
1: think. Yeah, but Dutton did make a big song and dance about it and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, he accused the Labor Party of being anti-Zionist or something like that, didn't he? he yeah. He accused him of anti-Semitism. Yeah. You know? But, but Pal- Palestine has long
2: been a, a thing of the left and therefore it doesn't surprise me that mm. um, the Greens voters, because I really don't consider Labour left anymore, mm. possibly centrist. Mm. Um, yeah. And, uh, you yeah, know, LNP voters are again theocrats who want the end of the world. Yes. And the, soo- and the sooner that the Arabs and the Israelis keep Killing themselves the sooner Jesus comes back. Yes. In Australia, have we that have we reached that
0: point in Australia, Joey? I I
2: don't uh, I don't I don't,
0: I don't that believe it's a larger uh,
2: proportion, but No,
1: yeah. but there is certainly part of it. Part of it is that thinking. Mm. You know, there is some within the Liberal Party that would actually hold that view because their mates over in the Yanks in the in America believe that. Mm-hmm.
0: They also polled people about Australia Day and asked people, um, will you be doing something to celebrate Australia Day or will you just be treating it as a public holiday? And um, basically people have tended towards treating it as a public holiday and not necessarily doing something um, to celebrate the Australianness of it. But if you look at the age breakdown, the older you are, the more likely to you are to celebrate Australia Day as Australia Day rather than just enjoying the public holiday. And just finally, they also asked people about support for Australia becoming a republic. And Scott, mm-hmm. strongly support young people recorded the lowest. So um, only 12% of the young people, 18 to 34, strongly supported A republic, whereas the um, the older great age groups that was either twenty two or twenty three percent. So you're a you're still a card
1: carrying member of the yeah um, yeah of the Republican movement yeah yeah. Uh, That doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that um, probably the Republican movement's biggest problem is that we're facing a generation of they don't care. Mm. So as a result. Uh, it really doesn't surprise me that people don't care and that type of thing. So that's where you've got those sorts of numbers coming up. It's one of those things. um, I did see something with it. They reckon that the Crown has had probably a bigger impact on the Republican movement than anything else has.
0: Yeah, that series on Netflix.
1: Yeah, it Mm. did. It did actually paint the old girl as a complex figure. Yeah, you know? complex. Yes. Yeah, exactly. A, com- you know, a complete
0: bitch at times, and you know. A at other complete times- bitch
1: at times, but other times quite a human being. Mm. And it's one of those things. Apparently, she has watched it and that sort of stuff, and she actually admitted that um, she does feel somewhat bad for the way she treated her sister. Over Hang on. here,
0: this is Queen Elizabeth.
1: Yes. Was
0: it? Was it produced before she died? Yes, it was yeah. produced before oh, she died. Right. Yeah. Okay. There you go. I only been just been saw out for it. a while. It's been been there for a long time. Six months ago or something. That's how far behind the times I
1: am. Right. Yeah, it's apparently that um, she Mm. admitted to someone that she feels badly for the way she treated her sister. Right. Over Mm. her marriage to Peter Townsend. Mm
0: -hmm. There we go. So you're right. The younger group have a bit more ambivalent about it all and don't have any strong views. So, Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that was a central poll. Get rid of that from a screen. Um, Yeah. And Alison's in the chat room and says she saw a report that said two-thirds of people earning over 200000 or above support the changes. I saw a similar thing. I think that was from the Australia Institute. Um, That was it, yes. yes. Yeah. And, oh, look, just briefly, one more chart to show you because I've got it here, which was just a chart showing how much is carved off from helping the top end and, and then comes into assisting the bottom end. So that was a good chart, if it shows up correctly on there. But uh, does it? Hang on. Yeah. Yeah, it's Sorry. showing up. Yeah, good. So that was that one.
1: And so I think that honestly, they've got to be very comfortable with it because they're getting four and a half grand out of it all, mm. which on a weekly basis turns out to be 86 bucks a week, which mm. is fine. Mm. You know, you compare that to the 9,000 they're originally going to get, then that is just too high.
0: Yeah. Um, so there's a guy, Richard Dennis from the Australia yeah,
1: Institute. Good. He um, used to have a podcast that I listened to whenever it came out. It was the, I um, can't think what it was called, but he was a, he's an economist.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: And he does and actually, he, he turns up sometimes on 7am too.
0: Yeah. Good talker. And Absolutely. He, he's got some things to say about mining tax and hex. Here we go. Yeah. Listen, to, listen to
2: this. Consider the fact that in Norway, they tax the fossil fuel industry and they give university education to their kids for free. In Australia, we subsidise the fossil fuel industry and we charge our kids a fortune to go to uni. Choices matter. And the Australian government collects more money from HECS than it does from the petroleum resource rent tax. Thank you, children. You're the backbone of our economy, not the gas industry.
0: That's an interesting statistic. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really fucking wrong isn't it you could, oh. if,
0: if you could just reach people and tell them that you wouldn't yeah. have to argue too long to say this is clearly wrong
1: exactly look what
0: these other guys are doing maybe we should be doing the same how about exactly. we do it if you don't it, like it don't vote for us but if you do like it vote for us
1: it's of right. i things. i just think that I, I just think to myself that um If we actually did follow Norway's example, do they honestly believe that the coal miners and the gas frackers and everything else that are over here in this country, do we honestly believe that they would actually pull up stumps and move elsewhere? No, No. they wouldn't. They Mm. come here and they invest here because our ground is full of shit that they can dig out and sell overseas.
0: Yeah. Mm. Just criminal. Future generations are going to be so angry with
2: and, and even if they're generations. The stuff's still in the ground. Yes. Wait
0: for someone else to come st- along
1: yeah, who's exactly. willing
0: to play the game <clears throat> and yep. and say, okay, here's a deal for you. You still make lots of money. Ooh. Just not obscene amounts of money. Ah. <sighs> it's criminal. The future generations are gonna look back on on Australia in the last fifty years and just go what and a shocky be, bunch you were
1: and they're going to be very rightfully very angry about it mm. you know? Well, I mean the the whole um
2: wasn't it susssan lay who was yes. held originally to be responsible for future generations the the the, the state of the climate in uh, for future generations I know it was overturned on appeal um but is that not precedent for suing governments for inaction just over the amount of money that's being wasted on behalf
0: of a future generation yeah yeah i don't know what the current legal position is on that i do remember there, there were those cases yeah where
2: so they, they um, won in the lower court and i think it was overt- mm. overturned in one of the higher courts mm, but it might have been on a
0: technicality possibly mm. Mm. yeah there really should be a minister for future generations who gets to say hang on a minute This is just um, lining the pocket of the current generation at the expense of the future generation.
1: Well, I think that's really bloody crooked that, you know, the hex is higher than the mining resource rent tax, for Christ's sake.
0: Mm. Yeah, there we go. But even when things are obvious like that, can a government actually sell it? And, of course, we had Shorten could not make it into um, being the Prime Minister on the basis probably of the franking credits yeah. and how um, that panned out. And uh, there we go. There's a chart showing that the richest 10% received 70% of the franking credits in 20, 20,
1: 2021. Uh, but they need them. Yes. <laughs> it's one of those things that I find incredibly frustrating. Like my old man's very much in support of it. And I just said to him, I said to him once, I said, why you know it was designed not to be a it was designed not to pay you back the tax it was simply designed to stop you being double taxed Mm. and it was just something that peter costello invented because he was embarrassed by the amount of money that was flowing to the government so they had no choice but to actually give it back to people yeah governments
0: Mm. in good times are really dangerous like oh, God, yeah, they The stellar government was dangerous. They could do all sorts of things Ooh. and lock us into systems and become really hard to turn around. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, here's another clip for you. Um, like, you know, I unfortunately in high school went to an all-boys school and it's one of the, I don't know if you could say regrets of life but because I didn't have any say in it. But boy, I wished I'd gone to a co-ed state school and it um, took me years to overcome what had been done to me there. <laughs> and, um, and so I was really determined that my kids would go to a co-ed school and have a normal childhood, which they did, thankfully. But um, let me just get a clip here because one of the schools in Melbourne, I think it is. I believe it's
1: Sydney, isn't
0: it? Uh, Sydney, wasn't and I think it's um, Previously, a boys' school has... A principal has decided to make it a co-ed school. And here is the reaction.
1: Well, I'm an old boy of the school. And my son is also an old boy. And the intention was always that I'd have a grandson. But I won't bring him to a co-ed school. It's all
2: part of this sort of woke, toxic masculinity-type palaver.
1: I'm sorry, but I'm not a... Uh, a co-ed person.
2: It's a boys school, it's
0: always been a boys school and uh, uh, there's no um, justification,
2: no explanation, no evidence to support this move.
1: I know my grandson was rejected from going to uh, to year three in a couple of years time because they had uh, thoughts of young ladies.
2: Uh, We are protesting against the school's decision to uh, uh, not notify the parents and gag the parents and the students from having a free voice To be heard about the school and the headmaster's decision
1: to make the school co-ed It wasn't as strong as I would have liked to have seen today
2: Well, I just think it's uh, ridiculous that after 160 years of thinking it's a good idea to have a boys a, You know a boys only school for the development of boys through You know very developmental part of their lives without being influenced by considerations of what you know they should look like or how they should act in front of girls why is that wrong after 160 years we
1: have another meeting tonight that we're going to try and look at more at the legal side
0: yeah 160 years i mean it's it's not like we've ever seen evidence of
2: of private school boys behaving badly Um, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people (laughs) yes
1: It's one of those things, I mean, you know, it's one of those things when I was at my old boys' school and that sort of stuff, I remember thinking at the time that uh, I would be better off in a co-ed school Mm. because guys behave differently in front of girls than what Mm. they do on their own because they behave like utter wankers when they're on their own, you Mm. know. The bullying and everything else would evaporate overnight if you put girls in there. Oh, well, I'm not so sure about that, but... Well, um, it would help. Educationally,
2: I think boys do better off in co-ed and girls do worse yeah,
1: Absolutely, off. they do. Yeah, exactly, which is one of the things. I just thought to myself that um, because they say that girls do better in single-sex schools, but boys do better in co-ed schools. So. Mm.
0: My kids went to, you know, just a state high school, co-ed mm. obviously, and they reckon at university you could pick the kids who had gone to a single-sex school. Like their just behavior was really obvious, I mm. reckon. So, um, yeah.
1: That's Alison, weird, are you still that... there
0: in the chat room? Did you go to an all girls school, Alison? Um, did you find at university a difference between uh, boys who went to an all boys school, for example, where they.
1: I wouldn't be surprised that um, anybody that go to a co-ed school and that sort of stuff would probably say that boys were just a little little less mature and that sort of mm. stuff by the time we got to university. But the girls as well.
0: I know that um, my daughter's daughter said that uh, girls Mackay from-
1: State High School was where Alison went to So oh, she went there to co-ed well, school.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, Alison, when you went to uni, did you notice any difference between those, uh, you know, who had your fellow students who had been to single-sex schools or not, just curious as to whether you noticed anything. So, yeah, there we go. So that's private school.
1: <laughs> First world problem there. Yeah, I, was I can't believe that guy was crying. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things The plan was where... like, I
2: was going to have a grandchild, but I
1: can't have one now. Yes. Uh, there no, we go. I, th- I thought it was weird that all private school boys all wore the same clothes.
0: There you go. So they had a certain type of dress style is what Alison is saying, I think, uh, at university. Mm. Okay. Um, That was that. Um, Let's look around the world now, get away from Australia, Uh, Iran, Iraq. So now we've got um, there was an attack on a US army base um, in Jordan, killed three US, three US soldiers. Um, the US is blaming um, Iranian-backed militants. Uh, it was some sort of drone, I think, came into the camp. Um, and they've then launched attacks on what they say are Iranian facilities that are in other neighbouring countries and places. So... Uh, they're saying it's Iran's fault and they've bombed a few iranian place, uh, Iranian-backed iranian places in non-Iranian territory because, hey, they're the US and if you're not bombing some brown people in the sandy desert somewhere, then just, you know, you're not doing your job. And, uh, of course, Iraqi resistance is claiming responsibility um, uh, and the base is actually mostly in Syria and is used by the US to steal Syrian oil and the Iraqi government wants the US to leave as well. So there's still enormous numbers of US personnel and US bases in these countries despite the new governments wanting them to just piss off and go home, but they insist on staying there. So, um, guys, you reckon there might – you know, we did predictions at the beginning of the year – and I don't know that anybody predicted a sort of a hot war in the Middle East like getting quite sizable. I
1: don't think it's going that
0: way. Mm.
1: They're really keen to
0: blame Iran for stuff. They talk about the Iranian-backed Houthis mm. and they're clearly trying to pin Iran for this. And Iran's one of the bigger militaries
2: able to uh, yeah I, they've wanted to pick a fight with iran for a long time but yes i think they've always been scared off because it is one of the bigger militaries yes but they that's why be... they've backed Saddam for so long mm.
1: it's one of those things if, if it does actually come to fisticuffs and all that sort of stuff i've no doubt that the us will eventually succeed but they're going to have to they're going to have to withdraw their support from ukraine and everything else put everything into, into the Middle East, and they will succeed. It's going to take them a very long time, but they will do it. Succeed as yeah. well as they did in, in Afghanistan? No, exactly. I mean, it's one of those things. They're just, going to, they're just going to leave behind a wrecked country and all that sort of stuff that wasn't perfect but was stable, and they're going to fuck it up completely, and then they'll yeah. withdraw. Yeah.
2: You know? yeah, they'll succeed. They'll succeed in transferring funds from mm. the hands of taxpayers into the pockets of big corporations. Yes.
0: The military industrial complex and the makers of weapons and. Yes. Yeah. Well, but, but, complex.
2: but also the, the private security industry that follows yes. along behind and yeah. builds all the infrastructure, rebuilds the country. Mm. Yeah. That was Dick Cheney's
0: company, wasn't it? Hollywell or something like that?
2: Hollywell
1: was what? one of the companies. Yeah. It's, it's well, it was thing. also. Uh, sort Black, of like that. Black, Black something. Black Rock? Black Rock. No. Yeah. Blackpool.
0: Mm I
2: can't remember what it was.
0: I can't I remember it was either. Black
2: Rock
1: anyway.
0: Yeah. So anyway, they're spoiling for a fight over there. And
1: you know, if but- they want to fight and that sort of stuff, they're gonna get a fight, but then they're only their only their only support in the region is gonna be Israel, which will make it all that sort of a hell of a lot of a mess for them. Mm. And you know, it's you know the sixty-seven war, the Israelis won. I'm not convinced that would actually win another concerted effort of Arab countries if they if all if all three of the Arab countries actually took on Israel again this time.
2: Mm. But they do you have know? nukes.
1: I know they've got nukes now. And I honestly believe that Israel would actually be prepared to use them.
2: Yep. Yeah,
0: I think they would.
1: Mm. Blackwater, according to Don.
0: Thanks, Don. Um Yeah. Anyway, they're spoiling for a fight over there. See what happens. Um, that's um, the Iranians. And I like this one about the spy pigeon. So... Um,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I was reading them. I thought to myself, Jesus Christ, how the hell did that happen? Anyway.
0: A pigeon has been released in India after being held in detention for eight months on suspicion of being a Chinese spy. Uh, the pigeon's ordeal began in May last year when it was captured near a port in Mumbai, with two rings tied to its legs, carrying words that appeared to be Chinese. Yeah, well, they could
1: have got them.
2: They could have in the
1: past. Yeah, but they could have got them translated. Can they could have actually got the they could have actually got the words and that sort of stuff translated into Hindi and that sort of stuff, and then there was a, oh, yeah, it's not a spy pigeon, you know. Yeah.
0: Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but um, Don in the chat room says, you do know that the birds aren't real. They're all surveillance drones, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. you've heard about that person
1: starting that movement, birds mm-hmm. aren't real? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So you've actually got dickheads there in the US actually hot, dragging around signs saying birds aren't real. Yes. So the guy who started
0: it did it as a joke. And yeah, I know. It seemed like there were enough people who were prepared to sign up to the belief that it became a thing. mm mm-hmm. uh, yeah, anyway, the animal turned out to be a racing bird from Taiwan, which had escaped and travelled to India. And, so it was uh, in Chinese. Yes. Yeah, Joe, when you said they've done it before. Yeah. Like they've used carrier
2: pigeons to pass messages. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's an yeah. April Fool's, so on the internet there's a, bunch of standards that are called rfcs and um, quite often there's an april 1st rfc and one of them is ip over avian carrier which was literally sticking a thumb drive onto a carrier pigeon to send messages Uh, and it has been done in real life somebody decided to print out a message a computer message onto paper stick it on the leg of a carrier pigeon a racing pigeon send it across town, and then decode it.
0: Right. See, some people have just too much time on their hands. Yeah. Obviously. Anyway, if with typical Indian efficiency, it took them eight months to figure out that it was just a harmless um, racing pigeon. There mm. we go. Yeah. Apparently, uh, it's not the first time a bird has come under police suspicion in India in 2020 police in indian controlled Kashmir released a pigeon belonging to a pakistani fisherman after a probe found that the bird which had flown across the heavily militarized border between the nuclear armed nations was not a spy and um yeah so it's not the first time and i thought
1: what are they going to do with a bird what are they going to do, put a gun to its head and say you've got to confess or we'll shoot you? <laughs> well, you know, it's just one of those things. You just, well, I don't, they could just shoot a, it and it would be it, dead. It's, it's, and it's, a all very, like
2: it's a very effective method of transferring messages. We used to do yeah, it.
1: It is. Back, it,
2: back back up until the end of the First World War.
1: Exactly. But, you know, you could find out what that message actually said. They just actually had to take the paper off it, get it translated into Hindi and they oh, fuck, it's got nothing to do with it. <laughs>
2: But it's in code.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Indians have got lots of important stuff that
1: China would just want to find out about. So. I don't know about China. Know but certainly the, the Pakistan. Would want, I know that, yeah. uh, that China would like to know what India is up to, but mm. it's just, yeah, they have come to blows over their Indian-Chinese border. But, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I just don't believe that they kept a bird in custody for eight months. Yeah.
0: Anyway... Um, it was in a B C News reported by the Associated Press, so one assumes that the incident is correct, so had you guys been following Imran Khan at all and yeah i had, had you had any understanding of what's going on there
1: it's one of those things i didn't re- i know that he had actually spoken out against the u s and all that sort of stuff before I actually read the whole thing that you sent it mm. and it's one of those things uh was he too cooperative with Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping? I don't know. It's just one of those things. He's probably too mm. close to the Russians. But anyway, he's also, he's the Prime Minister of an independent country. He's, he's entitled to have any sort of relationship he wishes to have around the globe. Mm. Uh, I, thought I honestly too- do not believe that what he was actually Crucified for was that bad? All he said was, "You've got to actually solve this. You've got to solve this um, fight diplomatically, not on the battlefield." Mm. Which is a perfectly valid thing for a country to say.
0: Aggressively neutral, I think it was
1: described as. Uh, They might call it (laughs) aggressively neutral, but why why are you being so aggressively neutral on this issue? (laughs) I just think to myself that Imran Khan, you know, he was probably the best that. Pakistan had to offer and all that type of thing, so... Mm. <sighs> Joe, going to say something? Sorry. Y- yeah, I thought
2: that um, he was scarily religious in some things. Mm. Yeah,
1: but he wasn't as religious like as devout, some of the others.
0: Perhaps. That... His wife is very... Um, Where's the full burka, I think, or a, a fairly
1: full a covering? Cap, he, she?
0: He, maybe not the burka, but the next...
1: Yeah, doesn't she?
0: Yeah. I think she might be quite uh, religious. but
2: Yeah, but, I thought there was something about blasphemy that um, he'd made comments on or he'd brought in some blasphemy law that was well, maybe you know, he wasn't such a... As, as much as
0: I'm pro-secular, whatever he did in that line isn't enough to justify the US coming in and organising regime change and having him thrown in jail for 10 years. So. Ooh. Um, which is what's happened. So there's an article from Jeffrey Sachs. You guys probably don't like Jeffrey Sachs because he was kind of taking my... Well, I was taking his line on Ukraine and stuff. So um, um, anyway, so in this article by Jeffrey Sachs, he says there's strong reasons to suspect the US is behind uh, the overthrow of Imran Khan. And um, he says, of course... Regime change by the US is routine, and there's a link to a report that counts 64 covert regime change operations by the US between 1947 and 1989. That's a lot. And he says that Imran Khan's sin was to be too cooperative with Putin and Xi Jinping, and while seeking to just have normal relations with the United States... And Khan, from the start, said the conflict should be settled at the negotiating table rather than on the battlefield. Like, guys, stop killing each other and start negotiating. Um, He probably sealed his fate, though, when he held a large rally and he berated the West and particularly EU ambassadors for pressuring him to condemn Russia and... He also uh, complained about NATO's war against terror in Afghanistan as having um, been very devastating for Pakistan. And he told the the cheering crowd about uh, the US ambassadors wrote a letter to us, meaning Khan and Pakistan, asking us to condemn and vote against Russia. What do you think of us? Are we your slaves that whatever you say we will do? He said, we are friends with Russia. We are also friends with America. We are friends with China and with Europe. We're not in any camp. Pakistan will remain neutral and work with um, those trying to end the war. So one day after that rally, there is an Assistant Secretary of State for the Bureau of South and Central Asian Affairs, a Donald Liu. So he's the American... um, He meets with Pakistan's ambassador, um, an Assad Majid Khan, and basically um, a cable is then sent from Khan back to... so from the uh, Pakistani ambassador back to Pakistan. And um, the cable quotes the American guy as saying to the Pakistani ambassador... Um, the people here in Europe are quite concerned about why Pakistan has taken such an aggressively neutral position. And then said, quote, uh, I think if the, if the no confidence vote against the Prime Minister succeeds, all will be forgiven. Um, so basically, telling the ambassador that the US will forgive Pakistan if there's a no-confidence motion against Imran Khan. And otherwise, it's going to be tough going ahead. So five weeks later, after that threat, the Pakistan's military um, controls or has a hold over the Pakistani parliament and ousted Imran Khan in a no-confidence vote. And then they, according to Jeffrey Sachs, Um, brazenly manufactured charges of corruption against Imran Khan, put him under arrest, and when Khan made known the existence of that diplomatic cable and the threat made by America, the new government charged Imran Khan with espionage, and that's what he's been convicted of for 10 years. So the Americans threatened Pakistan basically saying, life's not going to be good for you unless you do a no-confidence motion against Imran Khan. And when Imran Khan revealed that um, message, he was in charge with espionage against Pakistan and given 10 years. Uh, when asked about Khan's conviction, the State Department had the following to say, quote, it's a matter for the Pakistani courts. It's like, And there we have it, a man in another country thrown into jail for 10 years for being aggressively neutral. It's quite a story, isn't it? Mm. Hmm. Joe, any thoughts on that one? Any hesitation, any sort of sounds about right or you're you're like, yeah, it's a bit of a beat up or uh, you just don't know?
2: It's Pakistan. I can't say I'm surprised. Mm. Um. There, there's a lot of corruption in there, as far as I know. Yeah.
1: There is, but as to, as to whether or not Khan was actually knee-deep in it, like they allege is another story, mm. you know. And fine. Sorry, go on. It's one of those things, I, I don't think we're ever going to know exactly what the truth is. Yeah. Well, you know, but, he
2: was, uh, if, he, if he wasn't and his opponents were, it's a good thing to smear him with, isn't it?
1: Absolutely,
2: yeah.
0: Apparently, that that um, that message is in the public domain now. It's been leaked, and it seems it's legitimate. So there we go, a successful regime change. Chalk up another one for the United States. And finally, in the show notes that the patrons get, will be an article from Saul Eslake. Um, he says, so. You guys um, ever heard Saul Eslake speak?
1: Never heard him speak. I've read a lot of what he's written. Mm. Never heard him speak. Very, very smart guy. Oh, Um, he's a very intelligent bloke, for sure.
0: Yeah. I was at some talk about financial planning stuff, and uh, he just spoke for an hour and just had everybody captivated, like intimate knowledge of all sorts of statistics. Really quite a bright guy. Mm. Anyway. He says, I regard the changes made to the carve-up of GST revenues among the states and territories by the Morrison government in 2019 um, as possibly the worst Australian public policy decision of the 21st century thus far. Big statement? Could it be worse than AUKUS, I ask you? I don't know that it is, but it's probably a close-run thing. And essentially... The story is this, that when the GST was created and it's the federal government collecting money which is then distributed to the states and there was a principle of horizontal fiscal equalisation which was if some states are financially better off than other states, then they'll get less of the GST pie, a very sort of socialist approach to carving up the GST money. And for most of our history, uh, Victoria and New South Wales um, would have been the most prosperous states, which would sort of lead to them getting less and the other states getting more per capita. But, of course, we've had a massive mining boom in Western Australia. Huge boom. And um, similar, to, as he says here, from 2004 onwards, Western Australia got, um, as Paul Keating would say, kissed on the ass by a rainbow, <laughs> where the iron ore price rose to over $100 per tonne. So, for example western australia 's iron ore production um, in one thousand nine hundred and ninety nine was three point seven billion and um, in the last six years it 's averaged one hundred and eleven billion so in in fourteen years uh, it went from three point seven to one hundred and eleven billion per annum so um, massive um, production and similar stories in relation to gold and um, LNG um, as well, like big boom, obviously, in Western Australia. And, of course, Western Australia will get royalties from all of that, which means that Western Australia is doing very, very well and is outpacing the other states because of that more than any state has ever outpaced the other states And um, what Morrison did was changed, well, called for a Productivity Commission report, but basically stitched things up so that the report was not done properly. Um, Saul Eslake says people who worked on it were not happy with the way it was done, and some people resigned afterwards. And the result was that they... Um, changed the GST carve-up so that um, Western Australia would never get less than 70% per capita of what it would have got had there been none of this equalisation. So essentially the previous system of, of less money to the wealthy states was changed by that system. And why would the other states agree to it? Well, Morrison put in a deal that no other state will be worse off for the next, like, uh, let me see, for like 15 years or something like that. So it was a thing that a, a government could, uh, one of the other states could just um, kick down the road, not, not going to be their problem, not going to be around in 20 years' time. So, so basically, Morrison did a deal that was extremely favourable to Western Australia where it gets to keep a much bigger share of the GST carve-up than it would have. And why did it allow that to happen?
2: Because they were about to throw their of, toys out the pram. Because, well, they
0: had a number of Western Australian representatives. Correct. So hmm. a relatively large contingent of... Um, so since the 2013 election, the Liberal National Party Coalition held all but three of Western Australia's seats in the House of Reps, and after the narrow victory in 2016, they knew that if they had any chance of retaining government in 2019, they needed to keep as many Western Australian seats as possible. So that's why the LNP, uh, Liberal National Party Coalition, agreed, well, did this. Why did the Labor Party agree to it and vote for it? Because... They wanted to pick up Labor. They thought that they would then... If they didn't do that, there were no chance of picking up seats for Labor in Western Australia. So Labor agreed to it. And um, so conversely, the Labor opposition knew that if it were to have any prospect of winning government at the 2019 election, they had to win at least some of those seats from the Liberals. Um, yeah, and the title of the bill is, wait for it, uh, Treasury Law's Amendment, making sure every state and territory gets their fair share of GST, Bill Ooh. 2018. Passed both houses of federal parliament with overwhelming majorities, even though it was a crummy deal for everybody outside of Western Australia. Probably this podcast is it gets quite depressing. <laughs> so many bad stories. Ah, so many bad stories. Let's just add that to it. Were you guys aware of that one at all? Yeah, I was aware of it. Right. No. Yeah, I never knew the details like that.
1: No. I knew that. Um, I knew that Western Australia had some kind of sweetheart deal on it, but I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what the numbers were.
0: Yeah. So there we go. Good job. I saw S Lake explaining that in quite some detail, which I've just paraphrased. So there we go. Well, guys, we finished on a sour note, I reckon. Imran Khan and the Western Australian TST carve-up.
2: Have you guys tight. heard of the UK post office scandal?
1: Yeah, that is bloody crook what's going on over there. Tell me about it, Joe.
2: It's their equivalent to RoboDat. um So the UK post office, which basically is the government department in small villages, uh, it was all outsourced and they rolled out a new computer system, which was overpriced and late. What a surprise. Mm -hmm. And suddenly said that all of these postmasters had been um, siphoning off money.
0: Right.
2: And, accusing uh, them of fraud. Accusing them of fraud. So a whole bunch of them got sacked and the government demanded money from them. A number of them were actually charged with criminal offences. And it turns out that the computer program was at fault. Wow. And that the government, this, this happened well over 10 years ago, uh, and that the government is only just admitting to it. Hmm, so, you yeah, know, there are literally thousands of people whose lives have been turned upside down by a computer system that the government maintained was perfectly accurate. Mm. Like I said, shadows of yeah. debt all very over again. A, Yeah,
0: very much a debt thing. Mm. Anybody so, got a happy story? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I don't have a happy story. It's one of those things, I find it really bloody crooked that... Uh, something like that could go that you've got to the point where people were imprisoned. Yes. And they had to prove that they were innocent more so than the other side proving that they were guilty. Mm. Had 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 the onus of proof not actually been reversed, had the proof been on the prosecution, then someone would have found out that the computer system was fucked a long time ago.
2: Mm.
0: You know? I imagine they probably had suicides and just oh, I'm they sure, did. marriage breakups they did have, they did and just, had just suicides and marriage yeah.
1: breakups and God knows what else. Oh, God. Well, hmm.
0: come on, guys. Something positive.
1: I'll work on it for next week. Sorry,
0: dear listener, but there you go. That's the state of the world at the moment. Um, I guess we'll be back next week with more. Than News and politics and sex and religion. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now.
1: And it's a good night from me.
2: And it's a good night from him.
1: Good night.